I want to say that um, I'm, I'm a little nervous about today's message because I've, I've been going over and over it, and um, it, it just kind of is it's, it's repetitive. Um, I, I felt a, a little uneasy of thinking, wow, we've heard this. Paul, we have heard this over and over again. But it, it seems to me it, it, it must be that, that God wants us to understand these things. And so as I reasoned with myself, Lord, I was thinking, gosh, it seems like we've done this and we, we've, we've covered this topic over and over again. I don't want to bore the people. And, and I almost got like this resounding, who are you to tell me how much the people need to hear what I need to preach? And, and, and you know, that's the truth. Um, I, I, who am I? I am just someone, hopefully, that would be a, a voice that, that cries out the things of God. And, and, and I do not, as you're going to hear in a moment, I'm going to say to you, I'm going to remind you over this, that, that it's not my thoughts I want you and me to gander, to, I mean, to gather together. I, it, it's not my philosophy I want to try to, to share with you. I, I want us to hear the voice of God. And so the safest way that I know to do this is through studying the Word of God line upon line, word after word, and allowing God to, to share His message to us. And, uh, and if, if it's my voice and my heart, so be it. I'm, I'm honored that, that the Lord would do that with us. So we're in 1 Timothy. Please turn with me. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Enough of the apologies. Let's just get into the Word. We studied last week in chapter 6 in verses 1 and 2 that our, our work truly Whatever we do is, is to be done to honor our Lord. If you recall last week, it said in verses 1 and 2 of 1 Timothy 6 that we are to honor our own masters. That means our own employers. So that the name of our God and so that the doctrine or the gospel that we preach may not be spoken against. And then Paul said in the next verse, verse 2, the end of it, Preach and teach these principles, which we will do. Now, last week we, we came across what I thought was a, was a perfect verse for this particular place. Written, of course, by Paul. It was out of the book of Colossians. It was the third chapter, the 23rd and the 24th verse. There's a, there's a very interesting story that goes with these verses. It, it says, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as unto the Lord, rather than... To men, because it is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you and I serve. This verse came came to me a long time ago in, in a in a very particular manner, particular fashion. Um, I was in the ministry at that time with just athletes, and and all of a sudden this 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 whole movement came within pro sports of having chapel services in the clubhouse. Which, which I, uh, really another gentleman by the name of Watson Spolstra began. He was a sports writer out of Detroit. And he started this ministry. And I was a former baseball player. And I retired and I was a professed Christian. And so he wanted me to kind of help him. So I joined him in spring training. We went from one team to another, kind of getting chapels, leaders, and and putting everything together. 
so I became kind of known to do that, and, and, and I was enjoying it very much. My, my main focus was with the Dodgers and the Angels, and also the Rams and the, and the Raiders when they came here in the offseason. But, but mostly the Dodgers and the Angels, that was my focus during baseball season, and got to meet a, quite a few of the players. Then all of a sudden, the surge came upon baseball, where when I played, my, my first rookie year, Don Drysdale and Sandy Koufax both held out, and they both wanted $100,000 each, which that was, that was huge money. I mean, I, I think Maury Wills, who stole something like 100 and some bases and stole more bases than anyone before and was the shortstop of the Los Angeles Dodgers, I think he was making like forty to fifty to $60,000, which was a lot of money, of course. But, but Sandy and Don wanted to take it to another level. And then all of a sudden, free agency happened. A guy by the name of Kurt Flood held out. He asked for more money, went through free agency. They went through the, the, the courts, and, and, and players were declared to be free agents. And then all of a sudden, they were making $400,000 a year, $500,000 a year, a million dollars a year, two, three, four, five million dollars a year. And all of a sudden, I get a call. I won't tell you from whom. It was a fellow that was a, an all-star baseball player. I'll tell you this much. He was in the American League. And, and he calls me long distance and he says, I'm thinking of quitting. And I said, quitting what? You smoke? <laughs> he said, no, I'm, I'm thinking of quitting baseball. I said, you, you got to be kidding. He said, you just signed a huge contract. He says, I know. He says, I feel unworthy. He says, I feel like I would play this game for nothing. And now I'm getting more money than I ever dreamt. I mean, I, I, he says, I'll, I'll probably I'll never, never have to work another day in my life. And I feel, I feel unworthy unto the Lord. And I said, what do you think you're going to do? What, what, you quit baseball. What are you going to do? He says, I don't know. I says, how much money do you think you're going to make? He says, money is not the issue. That's what's my problem. My problem is I'm making too much money. And I said, that is ridiculous. I says, if you think you're making too much money, take the money that you make and, and plant churches, build churches across this world in which we live. Support missionaries all over the world. Use your money for the sake of Jesus Christ, but don't quit playing baseball. And then I came upon this verse and called him back and said, look, whatever you do, Colossians 3, 23 and 24, do it heartily as unto the Lord rather than for men, knowing it's the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. And this literally set him free. He was able to really play ball and, and feel like he could play it comfortably. And, and as Paul is saying to you and me, we don't make that, probably none of us here make that kind of money. But, but, but whatever it is that we do, God has said we should do it for a purpose. Here in 1 Timothy, he says we're to do it so that the name of our God and the doctrine that we teach should not be disrespected. That's a little paraphrased. But so that we would honor our Lord, so that, so that no, one, no one would disrespect our Lord. That's the reason we live. That's the reason we function. And so in, in this place in Scripture, we, we come to a place where we learn that, that whatever we do, let's do it unto the Lord. There's a funny story to that, too, by the way. I got a call later on. It was, honestly, I thought it was a, I thought it was a joke. I, one of the guys called me from another place, another team, 
and said, I'm thinking of quitting. And I said, why? And he said, well, he says, I just signed this huge contract, and now I'm afraid that I'm going to die before I get to spend it all. And, but, he, you know, I started to laugh, but he was dead serious. I said, you've got to be kidding me. Really? I said, you don't just enjoy, enjoy what God has given you. He's not going to stamp you dead now that you got all this money. And that's what he felt like. He was afraid to get on planes. It was really, it was funny to me. It was very, very funny. But maybe not to you. That's, but that gives you a little bit of my sense of humor. And I, I talked him out of that too, by the way. I told him that uh, that's, that's really foolishness, that, that he doesn't know the day nor the hour that, that he is going to pass away. But God does. And God's going to use them fully, every second of them until that time, just as he'll use you and me. Well, today, let's get back to this message so we can, we can uh, just kind of enjoy ourselves. Uh, today, Paul warns us again, as, as we've so often heard before, about false teachers. As you well know by now, this is an ongoing theme for Paul. It is obvious to all of us, I'm sure by now, that, that Paul's purpose is to protect the church. He's fearful of those that would come in and try to, to, to create chaos and to try to disrupt what God is doing within the four walls of a church building. Read with me, please. Verses 3, 4, and 5. Listen, listen to Paul's concern. After he said in verse 2, teach and preach these principles, he says now, almost shifting gears, he says, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, that person, he says in verse 4, is conceited and understands nothing. He has a morbid interest in controversial questions, disputes about words out of which will arise envy and strife and abusive language and evil suspicions and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Father, we read these words and there is so much here for us to comprehend. Yes, Lord, we've heard Paul say over and over again that he has a Tremendous concern for the church. And what dawned on me about that, Father, it's not Paul's concern, it's yours. You're concerned about your children, us, that we would love one another, that there would not be disunity, that, that there wouldn't be this, this rising of envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, constant friction between believers. So, Father, would you please teach us over and over again, if need be, what we are to become as a church. But, Father, I, I would assume that there is joy in the presence of the angels in heaven as they see the Korean church beginning upstairs and, and the other church, Searchlight Ministry, with Pastor Mark Manning that we have in the afternoon here in this building and that, that we're using this building as, as much as we can that we now have a, a room that's filled with, with food and, and goods that we can give on to others. And, and Barbara's dream is that she'll have to move into a bigger room so that she can feed as many people as you'll allow us to feed. Oh, Father, there are ministries that are growing within this church. Father, may we follow after your plan. 
And may we, above all else, may we love one another. May all people know that we are disciples of yours by our love for one another. So, Lord, thank you for this time that we gather together and uh, make it, Father, useful. I pray for each of us in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I want to share with you kind of the overlying theme of this. To, to, to fall under any kind of false teaching is a slippery slide downward. And, and that's what Paul is teaching here. By the use of, of the words he, he uses at the end of verse 4, envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicion, and then finally going to constant friction and then uh, depraved and deprived. These, this is a downward slide. Each one gets worse, progressively worse than the one before. And so what one of the major faults that Paul says in, in verse 4 of, of someone who is a false teacher is pride and or conceit. Uh, they, they think they're, they're too smart, they're too educated to check out what they're teaching against the, the thoughts of the apostles that went before us. The Spirit-led apostles of old who formed churches. If you remember, quite a while ago, we studied through the book of Acts. We came to the second chapter of the book of Acts, and in the second chapter, Peter gave a message on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, and some 3,000 Jews responded and believed in the message that Peter preached, and there within formed a church. And in Acts chapter 2, in the 42nd verse, it says they, talking about the 3,000 Jews who believed in Peter's words, concerning Jesus Christ and accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, their Messiah, had come to earth. And they began the first known church. And in Acts 2.42, it says they were continually devoting themselves to, and we, we concentrated on these things, four of them, the apostles' teaching, fellowship with one another, breaking of bread or communion, and prayer. And so that is within what we try to assemble our church as. A group of people who are continually devoting ourselves to the teachings of the apostles. Not mine, the apostles. I'm going to share that with you in a moment. And church, we are not about to change that pattern. We won't. We're way too accountable to God to do that. Paul wrote in this wonderful book of Colossians that we quoted just a little while ago, He says, we are to let the word of Christ richly dwell within us. And so Paul says, we can't hear from false teachers. We've got to hear what was preached to us by the apostles. What Jesus Christ taught them, and they in turn taught the first churches who passed it on to the next churches, and here we are today. And we're to follow that pattern. And so Paul writes, under the inspiration of God Almighty, saying in verse 3, if anyone, in other words, our Lord and Paul doesn't allow for anyone, no matter who, to come into the church and advocate, it says in verse 3, a different doctrine. That's, that's what we can't allow. I want you to turn with me. Uh, we're going to turn twice today to different places. Acts and Romans. Acts is to the left, of course. Hold your place here. And I do want you to see the, the, the words in the book of Acts. It's after, you'll go to the left, you'll go past 2nd and 1st Corinthians and Romans, and then Acts, Acts chapter 20. Would you please? Listen to what Paul says concerning 
those that might come in and, and try to advocate a different doctrine. He said these words in verse 20 of chapter, verse 27, excuse me, of chapter 20. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Listen, when I came to that verse, I wrote down, I wrote down here in my notes so that I would not forget what I wrote. I wrote down, oh God, may these be my words and my thoughts as well. And then right under that I wrote, and oh God, may it be our church's passion as well. Then Paul says in verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for the church and for the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Shepherd the church of God. In other words, care for the church, which he says he purchased, Jesus purchased with his own blood. He said in verse 29 an amazing statement. Verses 29, 30, and 31 are an amazing statement by Paul. He says, I know this. He says, I know that after my departure, after I leave, savage wolves are going to come in among you and not spare the flock. And from among your own selves. In other words, not only will they come from outside, but also from your own selves, people will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, he says in verse 31, be on the alert. Remember that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease, Paul wrote, to admonish each one of you with tears. Even though he was there for three years, teaching them day and night with tears, people still came from outside and from within who tried to separate the flock that was built there at the church at Ephesus. According to the book of Ephesians, the sixth chapter, the 17th verse, our offensive weapon is, is always going to be the same. It's, it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In chapter 4 of this book we're in, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul defines what a true leader in the church looks like. It is a person, you and me, not just the, the, the staff, but us, the congregation. That's what this church is about. There's, there should be, we should all be in this together. We should be nourished on the words of faith and of sound doctrine, which Paul wrote, you have been following. And I, I can say to you with a clear conscience, we have been teaching this. We have been teaching uh, the word of faith. And we have been teaching the best we know how, sound doctrine, which you have been following. You know, all, all the wonderful men that, that, uh, whom I study, men that I read their commentaries, and, and, and I find out what it is that, that the Lord wants me to say, what it is that, that, that is purposed within these, these verses that we read that are critical for us. All the men like McGee, MacArthur, all these wonderful, wonderful men who write these commentaries say the same thing over and over and over again, and it is this. The primary function of a church is to feed the people who come within its four walls because it is truly only the Word of God that will give you and me growth and maturity and unity as a group of people. And so we're not going to... We're not going to stop from that. That's our purpose here at this church. So let's take a look back at 1 Timothy chapter 6, 
verses 4 and 5, how Paul reveals what a false teacher looks like. First and foremost, he says in verse 4, he is conceited or proud. And yet, he says, he understands nothing. He says that he has a morbid interest in controversial questions. He has dispute about words out of which will arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, constant friction between men of depraved minds, which we'll see in a moment. And the last, they become deprived of the truth. And they suppose that godliness is a means of gain. To find out with me that this is a slippery slope. The word conceit in verse 4 is T-U-P-H-O-O. It, it, it means, as we've already said, arrogance and pride. It is the core of teaching false doctrine. And yet Paul writes, even though this one thinks he's arrogant, prideful, thinks he knows it all, he understands nothing, Paul says. Last week I was asked a very, very good question. Um, it was after the Saturday evening service and kind of just talking right over here and and one of, one of my friends here in the church came to me and said, I'd like to ask you a question about your message. And I said, sure, what? He says, how do you form your thoughts? Uh, how, do you, how do you go about figuring out how many verses we're going to do? How do you figure it out? What do you do when you get home? How do you study? Do you read your Bible only? Do you use commentaries? Well, he knew I used commentaries because I said. He said, what do you do? I thought that was a great question. Normally, here's what I do. Sometimes after Sunday, when I get home, I'll take off my clothes, I'll get into sweats, and I'll go at my computer. Because it's, the message is real fresh in my mind, and I'll, I'll look and see, what, what are we going to study next week out of 1 Timothy? Today, not so much. I'm going to watch the Patriots play football on television. I'm really looking forward to that game. I don't know why. I have, I'm so, but, but that's what I would do. Then on Monday, I will either take that time off or I will go back and study. Normally, when I get up in the morning, I just splash my face, I brush my teeth, I put on some sweats, I get on my computer. The staff here is fantastic. Pastor Fred, uh, the, the, the staff that we have here, Pastor Bill, allow me to stay home and study and study as much as I feel I need. For that, I, am, I will forever be thankful for them. They are very kind but to answer the question, what do I do? Then on, on Monday I will study, Tuesday I will study, Wednesday I'll come here. We have men's group, and I, don't, I won't study mostly that afternoon. Thursday I study all day. In fact, this past Thursday I got up at 6 or something in the morning. I forget what it was. I went to the thing, and before I knew it, my buddy called me. I thought it was time for lunch because I was feeling hungry. Once he called, I looked at the clock. I couldn't believe it. It was, almost, it was 4.54. I, can't, I will never forget. I, I thought to myself, where did this day go? Now, I'd been studying all that time. And then I'll do the same thing on Friday, but not so much. Hopefully, by Thursday, I've got the message done. And then Friday, I just kind of change things around, make it kind of mine. And then I don't look at it again until Saturday morning and do the same thing, putz with it a little bit, and then come and preach the message to you guys. So the, concerning the method I use, I, I use both. I, I read my Bible first. But I always go to commentaries. And the reason I go to commentaries is that because I do not want to preach my message and, and take you and, and me into a direction that is not consistent with what the apostles taught. And so I do not trust myself. I do not trust my thoughts on you. 
Instead, I trust the thoughts of the apostles who went before us and godly men who write commentaries, so I become like a train on a, on a railroad track. I, I'm riding that rail, and I am paralleling with what they say. Now, most of the commentaries I read, they don't have the stories. I don't have the stories that they have to verify what they're teaching. But most of them haven't played baseball in the major leagues. Well, I didn't play either. I, uh, most of them didn't sit baseball in the major leagues. <laughs> Thanks for laughing. Anyways, uh, but, but, but I have a lot of stories about that that they might not have. But, but what I do is with my stories, I stay right on line with what I believe the Bible is trying to teach us. I make this vow to you. I've made it before, but since I was asked this question, I make it now. Our church is not going to be formed on my thoughts. God forbid. No, we're going to follow our Lord's thoughts the best we can and Pastor Fred and, and Pastor Bill are, are teaching the young men of our church that teach exactly this method of teaching the Bible line upon line so that we stay true to what our God has written to us. Now let's take a look in 1 Timothy 6 of this slippery slide that accompanies all false teachers. They are conceited and really understand nothing. Paul says that they have a morbid interest in controversial questions and dispute about words. Now, dispute about words is extremely interesting because in the Greek it is logomachia, machia, I think it is, L-O-G-O-M-A-C-H-I-A. It literally means to battle over words. In other words, false teachers love to quibble over words. They, they, they make these intellectual speculations rather than productive studies and obedience and submission to God's Word. Best example I know of. It's not biblical. And it's not something of a teacher of a, in a church, but it, it's, it's, it's where I saw quibbling over words really came to focus in my mind. Do you all remember our president, Bill Clinton? Sure you do. You remember he got into a, a situation, let's call it, and he was, he was confronted with the fact that that he had some relationships with this young lady to which he says, I have never had sex with this girl. And they brought up a question about whether he did or not, and he said, well, it really all depends upon what the meaning of the word, what? Is, is. You've got to be kidding me. You don't know whether you had sex with this young lady? Is it dependent upon the word is really? Really? And I thought to myself, that's what happens sometimes in studies. Not, not, not like that, but sometimes we get into this general area of we, we start going off on little, little tangents instead of really confronting our sin or what God wants to do with our lives. Have you ever, I have, have you ever shared with somebody and you get them to a chance where they're, they're really at a place where they're going to come to Christ and they come out and they ask you something like, did really Jonah get swallowed by a great fish? And I say, what does that have to do with your, with your sin? Well, you know, if you can't verify the Bible, it might not be true. And I said, look, we're not talking about whether the Bible is true or not. It is. We're dealing with a very major issue in your life, and that's whether you know Jesus Christ as your 
Savior or not, and whether your sins are forgiven. And, well, did God really make this earth in six, was it six little days? And I'm saying, oh, my gosh, where are we going with this? These questions really will not further your walk with Christ. They won't further your growth and your maturity as a believer. Now, I believe with all my heart, I believe that there's a time and a place for this type of study of God's Word. And there are also people who long for this type of study. I personally do not, but that doesn't make me right or you wrong or you right or me wrong. It, it's just the way it is. I believe it's important for us to understand the the, 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 the text of what is being said, and then what does it mean to my heart? What does that mean to me as a man or a woman as I walk with Christ? And the church needs to be careful. We all do. that We don't get lost in these things and miss the true meaning of being a real committed, obedient, submissive believer. That's what I want from you and me. And so these dispute about words will bring forth, as it says in verse 4, envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicion. Verse 5, constant friction between men of depraved minds and, and deprived of the truth. Supposing that godliness is a means of gain. You know, false teaching fails the test of true Christianity because false teaching fails to produce godliness and the inability to cause unity within the body of Christ. Watch and see. With anybody that kind of falls away, wait, wait and see. And do they do they claim to bring the church together, or do they tear the church apart? Envy. The word envy is an inward discontentment of the popularity that is joined by another, which will bring about verse four strife, and strife will manifest itself in abusive language. That's slander and insults. It happens every time. After abusive language, then there will be evil suspicions. Did he do this? Did she do that? Which causes that person to accuse evil motives to someone else. Which causes, Paul says, the end results of false teaching, which brings constant friction between people. I've seen it happen. I've been in ministry long enough to see it happen. It's it's devastating. It's heartbreaking. Ultimately, there becomes a, a depraved mind. That's a terrible place to find a, oneself because a depraved mind is someone who systematically rejected the truth of God's Word, which finally brings forth a person, as it says in verse 5, deprived of the truth. In Romans chapter 1, won't turn there because we're right near the end, but in, in verses 18 through 32, I would really encourage you to read through these verses. But, but listen to some of the verses. It said that, that God made himself known to these people in verses 18 and 19. In verse 20, he says so his, his attributes, his powers were clearly seen so that, that, that they were without excuse. It says in verse 22 of Romans 1 that they profess to be wise, yet they are fools. And that's... That's what it talks about in, in 1 Timothy. It says in verses 24, 26, and 28 of Romans chapter 1, For this reason, because they continually gave themselves over to sin, God gave them over to whatever they were chasing after. 
And in verse 28, it says, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God anymore, God gave them over to a depraved mind. That's what it says here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. A depraved mind. Who are deprived of the truth. The word deprived is a very interesting Greek word. It's A-P-O-S-T-E-R-E-O. It means to steal or to rob from someone. Paul says in 2 Timothy, some men who have gone astray, they, they've gone away from the truth. They've been robbed of their faith. Remember the warning in Romans 1.32. These people who, who go this route not only give hearty approval of what they do, but they encourage others to follow after them. They deprive people of truth. They rob or steal one's faith and trust in God. Then ultimately it says as we close, they suppose that godliness is a a means of gain. False teachers have a simple motivation and that is gain. Most likely it's money, but it also could be notoriety. It could be fame. It could be popularity. Who knows what else it could be. Paul uses the word godliness here in verse 5 sarcastically because this life, going in this fashion, is anything but godly because it ultimately destroys one walk with Christ. And not only does it destroy one's walk with Christ, that one who it is destroying will take as many people with them as possible. They will deprive others of truth steal or rob away their faith. Well, let's close. Sadly, within the churches across the United States of America today, I, I've talked with some pastors about things like this. These, this is what's happening. There are usually arrogant people who are ignorant of spiritual truth. They spend their time in foolish speculations. They, they want to quibble over words and They want to bring about envy and strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, constant friction. And they become depraved and they deprive people of truth, steal or robs one's faith. And so like Paul, I say to us, let's be extra careful. Let's not allow people like this to spread their deadly thoughts or rumors within the body of Christ. Because uh, the result is only division and chaos. Listen, we got, God's got a blessing upon you and me. This church is doing really well. We've been through some valleys. You probably know of them. Uh, I certainly do. But things are going just great. That's to the praise and the glory of our almighty God. He's a gracious and wonderful God. He loves you so much. He loves me so much. He loves us so much. I pray blessings on you beyond your wildest dreams. Go home today. Recognize and realize that you, you, you had a part in planting a church here. Sunlight Ministries. Is that the way it's? Sunlight? Searchlight. Searchlight. Searchlight Ministries. I knew I said it wrong. Searchlight Ministries. Pastor Mark Manning. Pray for him. Korean ministry upstairs, Pastor Cho. Pray for them.
our food pantry, different things that we're doing, uh, the, the Christmas boxes we're sending. We've got almost, what, how many more now? Karen, do you have a clue? Is it close to, I know we're over 1,000. We were hoping to get over close to 1,000 or 1,200. We're, we're over 1,000 now. God's blessing us, folks. You, you, go home and thank God for it today. Thank Him that He used you. Father in heaven above, God bless this church. God bless these people. God bless what we try to do, Father, in your name. And Father, thank you so much for your kindness. Every single person here is just a blessing, Lord. Um, Lord, we want to thank you for the, uh, what Pastor Cho is teaching right now upstairs to those people. May the Spirit of God move upon them mightily. And Lord, thank you for this time that we've had. And now bless us all as we go. And, and Father, may we have a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving with our family, our loved ones, our friends, whatever, whatever it is that we meet. May this year of thankfulness be special in each of our hearts. Most of all, Father, may we not forget to say thank you to yourself, to you who have blessed us beyond our wildest dreams. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all so much. Have a great, great day. Thanks for being here.